have no hands but yours to tend my sheep. No handkerchief but yours to dry the eyes of those who weep. I have no arms but yours with which to hold the ones grown weary from the struggle and weak from growing Welcome to Spirit in Action. My name is Mark Helpsmeet. Each week, I'll be bringing you stories of people living lives of fruitful service, of peace, community, compassion, creative action, and progressive efforts. I'll be tracing the spiritual roots that support and nourish them in their service. Above all, I'll seek out light, love, and helping hands being shared between our many neighbors on this planet, hoping to inspire and encourage you to sink deep roots and produce sacred fruit in your own life. I have no way to open people's eyes Except that you will show them how to trust the inner This is the second part of my Spirit in Action visit with Peter Alsop. Peter has such a rich array of songs that he's created over the past three-plus decades, and the work he's done and is doing covers so many topics that there was no way to fit it into a single program. Peter has been, and still is, a father, a musician, teacher, and an educational psychologist. He's provided workshops for the cross-section of those dealing with the education and welfare of our kids, not to mention concerts for the kids themselves. He's received seven Best Children's Album Awards, not to mention the adult recordings he's done. Part of what Peter spoke about in our last visit included his work in facing gender issues, stereotypes, and limits, aspects of child abuse, and new solutions to long-standing problems. The last song we listened to was You Ain't Been Doing Nothing If They Haven't Called You Gay, but we ran out of time before we could comment much on it, so let's start out with some follow-up on that song and the issues it brings up. Peter, as I listened to the song, I was keenly aware of how it feels to be put on the spot, called names, and shunned by a group. They didn't use the word gay so much when I was in my adolescence. They used the word queer. You're queer. And I can remember how my natural impulse was to say, No, I'm not, even though I didn't know what it was. 
because I didn't want to feel myself pushed outside the acceptable in circle. I think a lot of us wrestle with just how we can equip our children to not be dragged onto the anti-gay bandwagon in order to avoid being shunned. Is that one of the things that you do in the workshops that you lead? Try and give kids tools to stand up to that kind of pressure? For me, it's about putting everything up on the table so people can talk about it and see what's going on. And then because there's going to be a lot of people in a lot of different personal places with the different issues that we bring up, you know. One of the things when I do a bullying sculpt and I show what it's like to deal with families and kids and there's bullying going on, and I say, well, if this works, if we're looking at this and we see the way that the bully is in relationship to the victim here and there's the bystander over there, let's just move this up the ladder here. And instead of thinking of this as families and individuals, let's think of this as an organization. Who could this be? And I put my hand over the bully's head and they go, that's the boss. And I go, okay, and who's this a victim over? That's the worker. And I go, okay, what else could it be? And I put my hand over the head of the bully and they say, that's the union. And I go, okay, and who's this? And they go, that's small businesses over the victim's head. You know, it's like there's a lot of different versions of reality depending on what your experience is and where people are. You know, it's not that there's wrong versions. It's just like how do we work this stuff out? Where are the tensions? And the sculpting for me helps lend clarity so we can see what the feelings are that are driving a lot of the out-of-balance behaviors that we run into. Speaking of -of out-of-balance behaviors, I wanted to mention that the song... You Ain't Been Doing Nothing If They Haven't Called You Gay is just one of the song gems that's part of your Ebenezer's Makeover, which, you know, for our audience is a kind of, well, what is it? Uh, A musical, a rock opera, something like that. And it deals with Ebenezer's out-of-balance behaviors and attitudes and how the three ghosts come and take him face to face with his past, present, and future, and his homophobia, and his violence, and abuse, all those things. Uh, The music by you, Peter, and really a a lot of other wonderful musicians, Holly Near, Jeff Morgans, others, is really powerful in the context of the story. It's a great way to highlight and witness, if you will, the forces surrounding this typical man who's now the curmudgeonly dean of students of a college and, uh, you know, not-so-tiny Tim, the basketball player. Great name, by the way. It's just really a a great story with some great music to highlight the issues involved. And so, Peter, I also just want to thank you for releasing an album. You've done a lot of them. Uh, you know, got all those seven Best Children's Album of the Year Award kind of things. You've done all those children's albums, and it's really nice that you released that album Ebenezer's Makeover, which is targeted towards the adult market, because we can't get enough of you either. Yeah, you're welcome. It was, ni- it was nice to sort of re-release a lot of the songs from the feminist men's and women's movement people and get them onto, you know, a kind of a CBS radio mystery theater kind of a storyline thing. It was, uh, I had great fun doing that. Yeah, so um, the only place you can get it is on my website at peterrossop.com, so I'll do my pitch because I want people to hear it because I think it's wonderful, but it's not available in stores. Well, they probably know how to spell Peter, but maybe you better teach them how to spell Alsop. It's Peter, A-L-S-O-P dot com. Yeah, then click on a little shopping cart icon and you'll get the whole range of stuff and you can check the lyrics out there and you can listen to snippets of songs and things. And, of course, you can always find a link to Peter Alsop's site from my website, which is northernspiritradio.org. 
You are listening to a Spirit in Action interview with Peter Alsop, musician, educational psychologist, father, and just great all-round insightful person. So, Peter, where do we go from here? One of the most difficult songs I ever wrote was one called Mr. D, and it's uh, it's about death, actually. And so one of the things that, for me, is it's really important. I mean, it's one of the things that stops us. I mean, you know, we thought we were just been talking about courage and standing up, and people go, I could get hurt. I could get killed doing that. I'm not doing that. And I really think that death is our friend in some ways. I've been I've thought about death a lot, and people have accused me of being morbid at times. You know, I try not to bring it up and spread that around. But if we live forever, then how we behave doesn't make any difference because you can always go back and say, oh, I'm sorry, I did that 40,000 years ago or however long, you know, you didn't mean it. I was only kidding. But if death exists and we only have a limited time, then how we live is very important with the kind of choices we make. Carlos Castaneda in his book, The Teachings of Don Juan, talks about how the human that can really see can just look off your left shoulder and death is standing there and all death has to do is reach out and touch you and you're gone. It could happen any time to any of us right now while we're listening to Spirit in Action, even. And is that morbid? I don't think it's morbid. I think for me it means, how do I want to spend my time? If I'm really not enjoying this program, I should flick and listen to another program. <laughs> and they'd miss some really important thoughts and some great music, too. Well, but that's our sense of good, and they maybe, if you're thinking, I'm going to die, I've got limited news, I just, I don't want to be listening to this, these dudes talking to each other, I want some boogie music. And who knows? So I tried to write a rock and roll song about Mr. D., and one of the reasons it was the hardest song to write was because I realized why a lot of rock and roll songs don't have like really deep lyrics. It's because when you're moving and grooving and the beat's really getting you, it's hard for your brain to work at the same time to really think about deep stuff. And I'm hearing this is a fairly arcane concept that death is our friend. Nobody says that, really. So I, it took me a long time to write it and simplify the words enough so that you could get these just images that were concrete and visionable while you're bouncing to the beat. I don't know how. I think I was successful, but maybe you need to play it and let the people decide for themselves. It's called Mr. D. I am Mr. D. What I say is true. Everything changes constantly, so do the best you can do. Caterpillar crawl into her cocoon goodbye. Everything changes, yes sirree, now she's a butterfly.
one died. No one worried and no one cried. And there wouldn't be no reason to try to do the best you can do. This is number three. It's not how long you can survive. It's how you live when you're alive. So do the best you can do. I am Mr. D. What I say is true. Everything changes constantly. Do the best you can do. Meet me at the rainbow's end. Fill your life with love, my friend. Real love will never end. It's the best we can do. Love's the best we can do. Love's the best we can do. I really love that song, but I have to admit that I feel a little bit like a fool. I've listened to that song for maybe a couple decades now, loved it, loved the lessons in it, but I didn't know who Mr. D was. I thought, you know, maybe over in California you have some kind of disc jockey or something like, you know, there's the Wolfman, well maybe there's Mr. D on the radio or something like that, but I did not know that Mr. D was death and so thanks for clarifying that, and I feel so much wiser now than I did just five minutes ago. So did you hear it differently after you realized that now? Uh, yeah, I did. <laughs> but I have to say that knowing that you were writing about death, it deepened my sense of respect that you could write about it that in a way that was sensitive in the way that you did that didn't sound lugubrious, didn't sound preachy, just sounds like, uh, wow, here's someone who's taking a deep breath and looking at it square in the eye. Thanks. I mean, that's a tough issue to deal with. Um, I have another song that I did for kids, which also deals with some very hard stuff. It's called uh, No One Knows For Sure. But it's really about hope, because when you talk about death, uh, I used to do a conference called The Healing Power of Laughter and Play, and there's a, a man named Ashley Montague who is a, one of the presenters. He's a, a renowned anthropologist and worked at Rutgers University and talked like he had hot moss in his mouth and didn't want to burn his cheeks. You know, and he seemed to be a fan of my music, which I really loved. He was in his 80s then. It was years ago. And he was talking about the way we use language and how you really don't know for sure what's going to happen. The doctors will sometimes say, you know, gee, Bob, you only got three months to live. And the doctor doesn't really know for sure. What's going to happen? He may be looking at statistics or something. There's another man I'd worked with called Bernie Siegel. He's done a lot of work with cancer patients. And Bernie used to have what he called the Siegel Fund. And if, if your doctor ever told you that you only had three months to live, he would take money from the Siegel Fund and bet your doctor his own personal money, make the doctor's personal money, $10,000 that he was inaccurate with his prognosis. And he never had a doctor take the bet, which says a lot to the patient, which means, well, maybe the doctor's not right. Because when you put an ending on it, when you tighten
tighten it up and say, you only have this much time to live. That's what our brain does. And people will sometimes, they sort of fade away knowing that there's a doctor, this expert, telling them they have too much to live, and they start just preparing to die, and then they wither and die. And some of it might have been from their disease, but some of it might also have been from ingesting the doctor's view of life. So I guess the moral of the story is that no one knows for sure, which is why you wrote this song. There's a camel in the desert Who could really use a drink Her hump is all dried up And her name's Irene, I think If she doesn't get some water Or some juice or soda soon I don't think she'll last much longer I don't think she'll last till noon And the sun is burning brightly And the desert sands so hot And Irene's so awfully thirsty She might die right on the spot But no one knows for sure Something might come along That could save the day and help her out And fix whatever's wrong Cause no one knows for sure We've still got time to hope And Irene might see a giant milkshake over the next slope Well she might Cause no one knows for sure No one knows for sure There's a monkey named McCaffrey Who's lived a long, long time And he's got a broken tail That makes it pretty hard to climb So he's careful in the jungle When he climbs where monkeys go But he missed a vine And fell into the river down below And the crocodiles surround him And McCaffrey, he can't swim And he's drifting toward the waterfall Guess that's the last we'll see of him But no one knows for sure Something might come along That could save the day and help him out And fix whatever's wrong Cause no one knows for sure We've still got time to hope And McCaffrey might see Wonder Woman And she might have her rope Well, she usually carries it with her And no one knows for sure No one knows for sure There's a kid I know named Evelyn One of my favorite friends And they put her in the hospital For testing once again And the doctors and the grown-ups Well, they were sad when they were through They told her she was very sick No one knew what to do To make her feel better So that she could run and play Evelyn knew that she might die, but she'd look at me and say, No one knows for sure, something might come along. They could save the day and help me out and fix whatever's wrong. Cause no one knows for sure, we've still got time to hope. And maybe Dr. Seuss and me will invent a super duper kind of soap. 
That was No One Knows For Sure. It's by my guest for today's Spirit in Action. His name is Peter Alsop. He's an educational psychologist. He does workshops for educators and people who care for our kids. And he does concerts for kids and adults and families. And I'm very pleased to have him on today's Spirit in Action. Peter, that song sounds like you've been close to death. Have you had to deal with the death of a close loved one, close relative, friend, or otherwise? Oh, let's see. Uh, there hasn't been anybody that I've been immediately close to, thank goodness, knock on wood, but I certainly do work a lot in hospitals and oncology wards, and I go and play for kids, you know, where it's not looking real positive. We don't use the word terminal illness anymore because that's one of those things that sounds like it's terminal, you know? Just language like that is really important. You use the word catastrophic. Someone's got a catastrophic illness because that leaves at least it's open-ended enough for the possibility that they could pull through. It's frustrating for kids and families when they walk into a situation and they kind of are channeled to this is what you have to do and this is the way things are. And everyone's busy trying to do the best we can out here knocking around. So I actually wrote a song called ARG, which is for little kids who are trying to be perfect, and a lot of us are trying to be perfect, and life is perfect the way it is, even with all its imperfection. <laughs> I know, how's that for a Zen koan? Right, I think. So, yeah, you might want to play ARG, and we can talk about that. It's one of the ways I involve the people is to have it. The chorus is a scream-along. So if you're out there listening and you want to scream along on the chorus, please feel free. Go wild. I am always good as gold. I do exactly what I'm told. I do what the grown-ups say. I don't complain, because it's okay. I don't talk back, I don't get mad, I don't upset my mom and dad I don't get sick, I comb my hair, I wear clean socks and underwear I fold my clothes, pick up my room, I dust and sweep and vacuum I clean up mud and dirt and grime, I always go to bed on time But sometimes when I'm all alone I have to sing this little song It really helps me feel better If you want to sing along Let's go, let's go, let's go Let's do it again, okay? Come on. There. Now, doesn't that feel better? I don't make noise or laugh or cry. I don't stick out my tongue or lie. I don't fidget. I sit still when I have soup. I never spill it. I wash dishes every night, I do my homework, I don't fight, I follow rules, I don't chew gum, I never even suck my thumb. I never watch the TV set, at school I am the teacher's pet, I have the best grades on the list, someday I'll be a therapist. 
Your parents probably wanted you to be a perfect kid like me. But maybe that's a little crazy. Sing along if you agree. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Let's do it again, okay? Come on. There. Now, doesn't that feel better? Nope. (laughs) Do teachers hate it, Peter, when you teach their kids to scream, Arg? Well, that's been the big move in the pirate movement, hasn't it, Ben? Arg. Uh, but that was, it was more I didn't know how to spell screaming, so I, just, I wrote A-A-A-R-G-H as the title of the song. <laughs> well, I, I really was wondering if teachers, other folks like that, do get upset with you for kind of egging the kids on, you know, getting them to be a little bit too noisy when, well, you know, a lot of our school system and a lot of our efforts are towards getting kids to be still and sit in place and, you know, raise their hands. so eager that I did buy the album with it on. (laughs) So I'm going to play it for our audience here. It's called Buy Me Something and it's from Peter Alsop's Christmas Holidays album. I'm just a little kid with a mouth beneath my nose When someone takes me shopping This is how it goes It says buy me something, something, something Buy me something, something, something Buy me something, buy me something Buy me, buy me, buy me, buy me, buy me Oh my. 
my mouth just loves to shop. Maybe you can find me something that might make it stop. What do you think? It's worth a try. You could probably save a cute little kid from getting killed by an angry parent. Look, it's not my fault if my mouth has some kind of rare shopping compulsion, is it? You could just put it on your charge card, and then you wouldn't have to pay right away. Oh, please buy me something, 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 buy me something, 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 buy me something, buy me something, buy me, buy me, buy me, buy me, I'm going crazy. I can't stand it. Please don't make me leave this store empty-handed. Buy me, 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 buy Something expensive, something new. Spend lots, don't be a cheapskate, or I'll get mad at you. Buy me things of great value, stuff to save. I want giant. You know, Peter, my orientation is definitely in the spiritual realm. And by that, I don't mean something that's not embodied, but uh, I'm aware of how in our country things like fear of death or buying things, all this kind of stuff, it's so related to the fact that we don't have a sense of something that's beyond, something that exists or that unites us or that um, that sustains us. I have a feeling that a lot of us are much more afraid of death because we are very much doubting that um, that there is something bigger of which we are a part. I don't know if that resonates for you at all, but I I think that somehow you're talking about those things that transcend what you could buy at the store or you know just just what you're afraid of because it's embodied in some bigger learning I guess you'd say I don't want to put words in your mouth but uh, how how do you see that core thing that transcends the material stuff that you're talking about in buy me something uh Thanks. A really gentle, interesting way to put the question. I appreciate that, Mark. Thanks. Let me take it from the specific and go to the general, which is that there's a lot of out-of-balance behaviors in the world that I look at and I go, why are they doing that? What that seems so, it doesn't seem right, what they're doing to other people or to themselves. Why are people doing that? And I've been compulsive shopping. After a while, what do you need more stuff for? And as we were talking earlier about moving it up the ladder, from like we're looking at the bully scalp, you buy things that you need for yourself, but then organizationally, people go ahead and do things that they think, well, I'm not really in this business, but my competitors are doing it, so we're going to start doing that too, you know? And societally, we're going, God, we need oil to run things. Let's get oil from other people if we have to. Let's get it now because we can't do without of it. It's, there's a fear and a greediness that has to do with not being mean greedy, but just being afraid that you're not going to have enough, so you want to compile and get as much as you can of things. So my questions are more like, where does that come from? Where do those out-of-balance behaviors come from? And a lot of times they're driven. 
get back into the spiritual stuff because I think that the feelings are really important. When you uh, have painful feelings, which all of us do, every human being has painful feelings at some point or other, when you have painful feelings, you know, a lot of times we don't want to have the pain, so we find something to medicate it or we know how to deal with it. And a lot of times we grew up in families where we didn't, weren't given skills about how to deal with it. Like when I'm afraid, I need to go talk to somebody, I need to get a hug, I need to move away from what it is that makes me afraid so I can consider it, see if I can get some control over it so I don't feel so out of control, like something's being done to me. When I'm sad, I need to do some crying, I need to talk to people about it, instead of just keeping it to myself, talk to safe people about it. When I'm angry, I need to speak up and set a boundary and say that's not okay. Or if I'm angry, and sometimes I have to look at it and say, well, gee, it's not that somebody else will do something. I'm just angry because somebody won't do what I want. That's my stuff. And I bet that I need to change what it is, my expectations or something. So when you have painful feelings, if you're not sure how to deal with them in a healthy way, what we learn to do is medicate them and stuff them down because pain is exactly that. We don't want to deal with it. And so people learn to have all these medicators. And some people use alcohol and other substances, nicotine, sugar. Some people use behaviors like work television, exercise, listening to music all the time, focusing on sex all the time, or romance. I mean, there's a bunch of things that people do, and there's nothing wrong with food, and there's nothing wrong with television or exercise, but if you're doing stuff obsessively and compulsively to avoid dealing with painful feelings, then that little flag needs to go up and say, what's going on here? What feelings are trying to surface that I'm trying to stuff down? And all of that stuffing of feelings, what you're describing is my interest is not to say, well, there's a spirituality that you need to get to, because I don't tell people what they need to do. I think people kind of intuit that. And I also don't believe that I know what that spirituality is for somebody else. What I do know is that, I'm, that I need to find that more for myself, that quiet place. And I know that if, I'm, if I have a lot of uh, painful feelings trying to surface and I'm busy trying to medicate them, I don't have a very healthy feelings vocabulary. And if some of you out there want to know what your medicators are, just... Just sit quietly for a minute and try not to do anything. Take three minutes and sit there, and you'll find your, your painful feelings will start to surface. That's one of the gifts we have from being alive. Whether it's sadness or whether it's anger, it'll start to surface, and the first thing you think of is your medicator. You're going to sit there and say, okay, I'm being quiet now. I'm being quiet. Peter said to be quiet. I'll give it a try. He's an expert in this area. I'm being quiet. I'm just sort of being letting whatever come. <sighs> yeah, I'm really hungry. Maybe I'll get something to eat. I think there's some fudge in the, in the refrigerator, you know, or... Or you'll say, oh, i got a lot of work on my desk. I'll get that done first, and then I'll do this exercise. Your medicators will surface, and you'll know what they are. Having some understanding about that so that we can take a look at what the painful feelings are that are trying to surface and finding some safe places to let those feelings come out so that we can, if we're angry, express anger in some way that doesn't, not abusive to ourselves or someone else. But once you've expressed it, then you find that a lot of times anger masks some sadness that was under there, and you might need to do some crying about something that you never got to cry about. You didn't have the feelings because you learned that those feelings weren't okay to have, that they were bad feelings. And as that stuff starts to surface and as you get more comfortable, then you can be around someone else who's sad. If you've never expressed your own sadness, you're going to want to shut down someone else who feels sad. Come on, be a big boy, don't cry. Be a big girl. Instead of allowing them to cry too. And as you do that, you're able to sit quietly and as some of those feelings come up, you feel the feelings and they go away. But I think that God doesn't speak in our lives in some kind of a big, loud voice with electric signs. I think God is a small, quiet voice. And if you want to know what this uh, higher power or spirituality for you, what God has for you, you need to be able to sit quietly without all that cacophony of medicators and painful feelings and all of that stuff going on. You need to be able to sit quietly and listen and say, well, uh, big guy, you know, I'm 
willing to do what you want, do your will, but I don't know what it is. And so give me a sign. That's really hard to do if you have a lot of this other stuff going on. I'm a little surprised, Peter. You actually just did a reasonably good description there of what a Quaker meeting for worship is like. Have you been to one? Sure have, yeah. And it's, uh, from my experience, and I know that you have had a whole lot more experience than that. I've been to a couple of them. But everybody sits there quietly. And no one's supposed to speak unless they feel moved by the Spirit to say something. And so it's quiet a lot of there. But when someone speaks, you really listen because you figure they're feeling this and they feel like that was really important to say. So they either need to say it or I might need to hear this. So I'm going to listen. That was my experience. I don't know. Tell me about your experience at the Quaker meeting. Well, this is your spirit in action interview, so I don't want to impose myself too much. But I will say this. There have been times over the past 25 plus years I've been Quaker where I've just nodded off to sleep in the silence of a Quaker meeting though that has become less and less common for me. And I definitely have had the experience of the medicators that you talked about, that as soon as I sat in the silence, my mind would jump, you know, to the list of things I had to do to get organized, to get done, those things. But if I sit past those distractions and, you know, the call of those medicators, if I can last long enough, I do, I have found a place where I find a lot more clearness, centeredness, clarity about where I really want to be headed instead of the things, you know, the medicators ruling me. But I do find that it takes uh, some sitting on my hands to get past those distractions. I've never done the drinking drugs type of medicating but I've definitely done that with food and with busyness. There are definitely habitual distractions for me from my center. And sex. I, I think that sex has been a significant medicator for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's also been one of, one of mine as well. It's, I mean, growing up male in our culture, it's hard not to have that be something because it's something that's pleasant and pleasurable. I survived in my family of origin by talking a lot, as you can tell. I'm good at that. So if, you, if I get in a therapeutic situation and someone says, come on and sit down and talk, I go, great, because I feel right at home doing that. I can defend myself and stay guarded. But with sex, the first uh, times we had sex with my girlfriends or something like that, I went, this is wonderful, and there wasn't a lot of talking, and I felt cared about, and it was really visceral, and I want to do this as much as possible. Uh, that was something that is a survival technique. It's a self-soothing technique, but it might sometimes become the only tool in one's toolbox. You don't learn other ways to self-soothe when you're feeling upset and scared and you just think of sex. And so that's something that a lot of times isn't talked about. Masturbation is not something that's talked about openly. You had just mentioned, I was thinking of this when you were talking about Mr. D, the song that we did earlier, how you hadn't known that it had been about death. Jackson Brown has a wonderful song called Rosie that was a hit, which is about masturbation. If you look and go back and read the words, you know, and I was going, Jackson, go for it. I mean, nobody writes songs about masturbation, particularly not rock stars, you know. Rosie, it's me and you again tonight, you know, kind of thing. Uh, Rosie, you wear my ring. It was just when you sort of, someone told you and you went back and listened to the words, you went, that's what that's about. But it was veiled in the song, but an important stuff, because we don't talk about that, and we do veil it. As a part of the unveiling, how about we play one of your many songs on the subject? I can think of a couple options that would be very much on topic for this. For instance, your song, Give Yourself a Hand, is clearly a not very veiled song. 
or there's another one that you've done called Don't Put Your Hand in My Pants. Which one would you like to play to give the audience some idea of what you're talking about? We're going to do this one or the other thing again, huh? Or you tell me. Well, why don't we play them back-to-back? We'll have a little sex little thing here going on where Keep Yourself a Hand was really about realizing that it's easy to go out and point fingers at other people that are doing something wrong. It came about because a friend of mine had been part of a multi-million dollar sexual harassment lawsuit that was brought against her for naming this guy at Clark University. She was teaching, and he was expecting sexual favors from other staff, female staff members and graduate students. And when they blew the whistle on him, the university got together with him and dropped charges because he was the head of the teachers' union. He said, if you bring charges against me on this, I'm going to just claim that you guys are just trying to get rid of me because I'm head of the teachers' union, you're just trying to get rid of me. So they got together with the National Labor Relations Board, and they, they struck a deal, and they dropped the charges against him. And the next day, he sued these women for defamation of character. So I went to raise some money by doing a concert for them. And I wrote this song realizing that, you know, I could point at him just because he has his, uh, his union stuff together doesn't mean he has his gender stuff together. And there before the grace of God goeth I. So I wrote this song called Give Yourself a Hand. And then uh, I thought, well, we need to take a look at this for teenagers, too. So we'll put that together with that. Don't put your hand in my pants. That's a great idea. Thanks, Mark. Give yourself a hand. Give yourself a hand. You say it's not your fault, so it's got to be your glands. So give yourself a hand. Give yourself a hand. Give us all a break and give yourself a hand. You know, you act like you've been deserted on an island All alone for years With no one there to scratch your back or rub behind your ears So you act like you're in heat, drowning in testosterone And every conversation takes on sexual overtones And your fingers indiscreetly with no conscience of their own Go creeping here and there, acting quite unchaperoned Your starving, leering, lechy eyes pursue her every move Searching for her thighs or the bouts of her bazoom It's so tedious, exhausting, unnecessary and Easily cured and remedied this plague of modern men Just give yourself a hand, give yourself a hand You say you're at the mercy of your bodily demands So give yourself a hand, give yourself a hand Give us all a break and give yourself a hand big election, but it's not your macho crap, it's your work, not your erection that put you on the map. You're the chairman, captain, chief, your title's on your card, success once bought relief, but now that's not the way things are. Has your mother ever mentioned suffering gross indignities from big men with bad intentions? Do you think that she'd be pleased? Come on and join the rest of us, we're trying hard to change the selfish and injurious ways that we've been trained. If you're insecure or scared, you can ask me for support. Lonely we can talk, but if you're horny, be a sport and give yourself a hand, give yourself a hand. You say you're only comfortable when you're in command, so give yourself a hand, give yourself a hand, give us all a break and give yourself a hand. This common health phenomenon, some marriages has saved. They don't do it down in Washington, which is why they're so depraved. <laughs> fun and full of rhythm. You can play to beat the band. So do yourself a favor. It's something you will savor. Yes, do yourself a favor and give yourself a hand. Give yourself a hand. Give yourself a hand. You say you've no control when your private parts expand. So give yourself a hand. Give yourself a hand. Give us all a break. Hand. 
mountain on the range Makes a cowpoke real tough And see me smelly strange And all that other manly stuff Just like football, motorcycle, grease Soldiers, guns, and beer You're out to prove that you're okay But boy, you're acting weird Have you got a big obsession? Afraid that you might die If your sexual aggression Won't make some sweet young thing sigh And offer you her hips And heart and mind and soul Do you have to have a power fix To make you feel whole? No one else should have to suffer cause you happen to be strong. Grow up and be responsible for knowing right from wrong. And give yourself a hand, give yourself a hand. We will all applaud you when you try hard as you can. So give yourself a hand, give yourself a hand. Give us all a break and we'll give you a hand. pants just cause we're in love don't put your hand in my pants I just want to be hugged please hold my hand when we kiss I'm so tired of tugging your wrist so don't put your hand in my pants just cause we're in love now you're all gonna sing in that when it comes around again right good The night is full of stars My heart is full of love But romance starts to fade When you grab and grope and tug Like Boy Scouts on parade Like the army marching band Your fingers think they're crusaders Heading for the Holy Land So don't put your hand in my pants good just cause we're in love ah yes don't put your hand in my pants i just want to be hugged when i asked if you knew how i felt i meant in my heart not under my belt so don't put your hand in my pants just cause we're in love good I just want to snuggle, you just want to play. Your one hand's on my zipper, and your other hand is, hey! I say no, but you won't stop, you feel in love, you say. Well, I feel that you're not listening, so feel your own okay. And don't put your hand in my pants just cause we're in love. If you got icy fingers, buy yourself a glove. As you gaze deeply into my eyes, your fingers keep creeping up on my thighs. So don't put your hand in my pants just cause we're in love. Bells are ringing, birds are singing, it must be spring, you're after my thing. So don't put your hand in my pants just cause we're in love.
Those were two of Peter Alsop's songs. The first one was called Give Yourself a Hand, and the second one was called Don't Put Your Hands in My Pants. You're listening to a Spirit in Action interview with Peter Alsop, an educator, an educational psychologist, a musician, and a person who has no fear to go and talk about the things that so many other people shirk from. You know, Peter, I think you get away with talking about sex in your songs better than anyone else I know. (laughs) You know, sex, money, death, all those taboo subjects, you seem completely unabashed in dealing with them. And even though you get a nervous Twitter out of many of us as you actually say what everyone's thinking, you do it in such a healthy and helpful direction with such a healthy, helpful goal. Still, I recognize that many people just might not distinguish between talking about sex for a healthy reason and just general trash sex talk. Do you end up having people coming up to you and telling you, hey, you can't talk about that? I think I don't hear from those people. You know, I think that the people I hear from ones are going, boy, I'm right glad someone's talking about this stuff. I guess the other ones, if they feel like, you know, it's kind of like whatever, if they're nervous about it, they're not going to probably get in touch with me. And I rarely get stuff where people aren't feeling negative about stuff. And when I do, I actually enjoy having a dialogue with them because I don't feel that there's any bad people out there. I feel like they have that attitude because of whatever life experiences they've had, and that's why they're bringing it up. Well, let's continue on to the last song that you've picked out to share with our audience, all the crowd listening to this program. And in true Peter Alsop fashion, it's going to take us into thoughtful and challenging territory. You go all out in this song, and you use the P word. You actually say poop. Isn't it ungodly to say the word poop? I mean, who invented it? (laughs) God could have arranged a different system, I'd say, but he must have had a... In this case, it might be God. I think God's more likely to be a he when we're talking about poop. (laughs) And under five years old. And under five years old, exactly. So, um, I don't know. There's a woman named Emma Goldman at the turn of the century who said, if they're not dancing at this revolution, I'm not coming. I like the quote because it's about being playful and having fun and that there's so much stuff going on in the world that's so serious and so scary that we a lot of times lose some of the humor and the lightness of our experience as we're going through it. You know, and it doesn't mean that we're making fun of the serious stuff. It just means that to bring stuff up that is important for us, no matter our age of life. One of the last kids' record I had, I put out, was called Uh Oh, and it was for kids in preschool. And so I talked to lots of preschool teachers. So what do you want me to address? I got my own list, but add to it here and help me out. And then a bunch of them said something about toilet training. So I said, Well, I suppose I could write a song about toilet training. If not me, then who? You know. So uh, I wrote Poop Goes the Weasel, which was number one on Kids XM Radio for like six months. I had a wonderful story. Some mom called me from her cell phone. She was upset. I said, oh, I'm really sorry, man. What's the problem? She said, well, I got my five-year-old in the car with his friend, and that came on the radio. Poop Goes the Weasel. And he laughed so hard he wet his pants. I am now taking him home to get some dry pants so we can go back to school. <laughs> so I thought, great. Can I use that for my promo? <laughs> so anyway, Poop Goes the Weasel is a pretty funny song. Well, what's it about? It's a toilet training song, and you've heard Pop Goes the Weasel probably, so we just, I guess what the, the way we should do is we should go out and let the people sing along to this if they want to. I want to thank you for having me on the show. I appreciate it very much and the work you're doing out there. It seems wonderful, creating a forum for this kind of stuff, and I sure appreciate your support of my music, and just let them know PeterRossop.com is a place to come and you can find it. Hire me, whatever you want. I'm available. Well, thanks to you, Peter. 
you know, I think this music you've been creating has just been the most enjoyable way for me to learn, to grow over the decades that I've been listening to you. And I think it's just wonderful, all of the children that you've influenced, that you've given options to, that you've inspired. And it's not ideas so much, it's the spirit that's behind all of your music that makes it fun and deep and touching all at the same time. So thanks again for your music, for learning and growing you inspire. We're going out with Poop Goes the Weasel, and it's by our guest, Peter Alsop. Thanks again, Peter. Bye, Mike. Thank you. All around the toilet bowl, Big Monkey chased the weasel, but Weasel has the diapers on. <laughs> Goes the weasel. Big Monkey takes the diapers off, wipes the weasel's bottom, puts clean diapers on, and then... <laughs> Goes the weasel. Poop goes down the toilet bowl, Big Monkey tells the weasel, so Weasel takes the diapers off. Weasel climbs up on the hole, but Weasel doesn't have to go. Well, maybe Weasel has to go. Then Weasel gets the feeling. Weasel knows it's time to go Goes the weasel In the water, down the hole That is where the poop goes Weasel knows the feeling now Goes the weasel Flush the toilet down the bowl Goes the weasel That was Poop Goes the Weasel And... That's all the music that Peter picked out, but he allowed me to pick one more out for you. So we're going to listen to a final song by my guest, Peter Alsop. This one is called, When Jesus Was a Kid. It's Christmas time again, and the mall is really weird. Everyone gets stressed out Christmas shopping every year I have to stop and wonder Looking at my Christmas list When Jesus was a kid Would he be doing this? I know he was a baby But did he ever cry? Did Jesus wet his diapers Or were they always dry? Did he use a bottle Before he used a cup? Did Jesus throw things on the floor For Mary to pick up? Spank him, does the Bible say? Did Jesus scream and holler when things didn't go his way? I know he was a baby, but I wonder what he did when he was about my age, when Jesus was a kid. Did he have birthday parties? I'd like to think he might, but then I have to wonder well, like, who did he invite? Were there other kids in bathrobes who play tag the way we do? Was he bummed out when his birthday gift said Merry Christmas too? Did Jesus put on sunscreen or did he wear a floppy hat? Living in a desert, you can sunburn just like that. And he probably hated eating camel milk with mushy peas. Or can saviors just get out of eating gross things when they please? Dad would let him have a BB gun.
Joseph, you know, not the other one. It's not like it's a war toy. Jesus wouldn't hurt a flea. And he'd never point at anyone. He'd be as safe as me. And if his mother found it, she wouldn't make a scene. She'd never hide it in the attic. No, she was not that mean. He wanted peace on earth and goodwill to kids. I mean, he was a kid himself, so I'm sure he really did. We fight wars and we spill oil. We mess up the stand. I bet a kid like Jesus probably wouldn't understand. He'd see us Christmas shoppers trying hard to close our eyes. With the homeless people sleeping near expensive stuff we buy. I might be wrong, but I'm a kid too, so I might be right. We ask that kid, Jesus, is all this stuff all right? Can we buy Christmas spirit if we spend lots of dough? Well, I think that kid, Jesus, would just say no. Christmas isn't about shopping. It's about the way we care. It's thinking, what would that kid, Jesus, do if he was here? So if some kid you know messes up something they did, remember Jesus was a human too when he was a kid. Acting like a kid at Christmas should not be a sin. Remember when we do it, we're only acting just like him. So this Christmas, let's just be nice to each other, don't you see? When Jesus was a kid, he was a love like you and me. Jesus was a kid, he needed love like you and me. That was When Jesus Was a Kid, and it was by my guest for today's Spirit in Action interview, Peter Alsop. You can find more about him on his website, peteralsop.com, but you can also find a link to his site from mine, which is northernspiritradio.org. You can also hear on that site, this program again, other programs, find other helpful links. The theme music for Spirit in Action is I Have No Hands But Yours by Carol Johnson. Thank you for listening. I welcome your comments and stories of those leading lives of spiritual fruit. You can email me at helpsmeet at usa.net. May you find deep roots to support you and grow steadily toward the light. This is Spirit in Action. I have no higher call for you than this To love and serve your neighbor in joy and selflessness To love and serve your neighbor in joy and selflessness